today's Bible reading comes from the, the book of Acts and chapter 12, and it's not up on the screen, so I encourage you to follow along in your Bible or Bible app. So that's Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up! he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhonda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. Then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed." Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem Taking with, taking with them John, also called Mark. 
Well, it's good to have uh, Albert with us this morning, Albert Kavanagh, and uh, Rod presumed correctly at his, his wife, Joyce, that uh, he's brought with him. <laughs> and uh, we do welcome you both. Uh, just to uh, perhaps give a little bit of a local connection, uh, Albert and Joyce's son is married to Brian June Reynolds' daughter, uh, and they share uh, two grandchildren. So uh, it's good to have you Thank with you. us uh, this you. morning. Would you like to tell us just a little bit about yourself and your family? I came from a non-Christian family. I went to a youth group where I was first introduced to the gospel and they were the days when Billy Graham came, came to uh, Australia, uh, made a commitment there, trusted the Lord and have gone on from there. Uh, joined the Gideons. Uh, about 40 years ago, I think it is now, and once again we saw God clearly leading us in every step of the way there. So we're very thankful for that. Mm -hmm. and, and how do you spend your retirement? <laughs> or what did you do before you retired? I'm an engineer. Uh, I work for the electricity uh, uh, area. But uh, I spend my time in, uh, working with Gideon things, church-involved things. I do a little bit of preaching uh, yeah, life is busy. And you talked about being involved in a local church. Where are you uh, involved? Uh, we go to the uh, Warrigal Presbyterian Church. Uh, that's a relatively small church, which has been a church plant from, from the much larger Druin Presbyterian Church. So, mm. Good. Well, let me just pray with you, and then uh, we'll let you uh, share with us something about uh, Gideon's and uh, your own ministry. Mm. Father, we thank you for the work of Gideon's. We thank you that you have uh, raised up this particular ministry. Thank you for the uh, availability that of, of your word through Gideon's, both uh, to people as children, as nurses and others, uh, as well as uh, availability in uh, motels and hotels. And uh, we pray that as we hear something of that work this morning, and then as we uh, uh, hear uh, Albert uh, expound your word, we pray, our God, for that uh, sense of reception and responsiveness, for we offer our prayer through Christ, the living word. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Barry. Uh, right, we'll show that first video clip if we can. Gideons in Australia is all about sharing Jesus and growing God's kingdom. Chances are, every Christian has come across a Gideon's Bible at some point, and the only Bible a non-Christian owns is from the Gideons. The Gideons came to school and I was hostile to the visit, but I must have been touched by what they said somewhere in my soul because I took one of their Red Testaments and I put it on my shelf and it stayed there for six or seven years untouched. I started to read the Gospel of Matthew and I thought they were exactly the words I needed someone to say to me so reassuring and I thought is this real could God be real over 90 million Bibles are handed out around the world every year and you can be part of this global reach share the gospel grow God's kingdom and go into all of the world thank you we might just put that uh, PowerPoint on now and I'll speak briefly to that Thank you. Keep moving it. The Gideons are, as you see there, but we're dedicated to reaching the lost 
with God's word. In 200 countries worldwide, 99 languages, we've placed more than 2 billion Bibles worldwide. Uh, 17 million in Australia. Uh, through various means, personal witnessing, one-on-one, hotels and motels, schools. I've got a sad face there at the school because in this state, in this nation at the moment, we've been shut out of many schools and it really makes us sad that we can't even offer young people in year seven uh, a copy of God's word. But that's the situation that we're facing in this country. All right, next. Universities and colleges, prisons. Yeah, just keep moving it. Hospitals, emergency services, armed services. And we rest very much on Isaiah 55, that God's word will not return unto him void or without purpose, but it will succeed what God purposes it. Thank you. But there are still billions unreached in this world of ours. And I saw it during a Bible bliss into Taiwan. We, we placed 200,000 scriptures in a very short time and I saw empty boxes and empty hands. I saw young people come out of school gates with a hand saying, please, sir, can I have a copy? And we only had empty boxes on the ground. We'd run out. Empty hands and empty boxes. It really tugged at my heart then. And it still tugs at my heart even today. Thank you. Next. Two billion scriptures. Next. And our aim is to place 120 million scriptures by the year 2020. Uh, At the moment we're placing them at about three a second around the world, day and night. Next. And you know we are all God's fellow workers and the Gideons work in combination with, with Christians from the churches. Thank you. We have a free Bible app that you can download from the uh, app stores and that's got uh, where, to, where to find help and it's got the Bible, uh, audio Bible in over a thousand languages. Thank you. You can become a friend of Jesus. You can help someone to say yes to Jesus And as a friend, you can pray or you can pray and share and give. So please ask me about becoming a friend uh, after the service. Thank you. I think that's just about it. Yeah, keep going. We ask you to pray with us and for us. You can become a member. You can. And we also do provide cards whereby you can next give a card, send the word and change a life. Thank you. And we have a range of different cards. Thank you. Almost three scriptures every second are being placed around the world. And I just want to thank you for having us come today. Right.
Now I want to turn our attention to that passage that was so well read. Thank you for reading that. That was great. You really put a lot of passion and energy into that. Acts chapter 12. Why do you spend time praying? I'm asking that of us all. Or maybe I should just ask, do you believe in prayer? Now they're good questions, especially to those sitting here today. Do you bow and pray during prayer times? Do you attend any prayer meetings? Well, what about all the bad things that are happening in the world? The oppressive kingdoms that are bound today. You turn on the radio or TV news, you pick up any newspaper and it can be fairly depressing exercise. So given the world situation, is there any point in praying? And your answer will depend on who you believe is in charge of our world around us or who is actually running the show. Now these are all relevant and very important questions for each of us to consider as we look at today's passage in Acts 12. And it would be really good if you could have your Bibles open at Acts 12 because I will work my way through it. Uh, I've been using the ESV, so that'll be there. Now these events occurred at a period when the gospel was about to be scattered to the Gentiles. This is your mission month, and mission was the emphasis of what was happening at that time. And we can read about that in the previous chapter, chapter 11 of Acts, and then later, later in chapter 13 we can read that Paul and Barnabas are going to be sent out, spearheading a massive growth to the early church or in the early church. A growth that would see the word of the Lord spreading throughout the region. So our passage in chapter 12 is set right in the midst of this period of great change and turmoil. And we've been through that reading this morning. Thank you once again. So who is the key player in that passage? Is it Peter? Is it Herod? Is it God? Or one of the others mentioned in this account? Well, let's think about a couple of these. Peter, Peter had the adventure. Wow, what an adventure he had. That's Peter. Herod, he was ready to throw his weight around and he considered with good reason that he was in charge. After all, he was king. But the answer as to who is the boss, to use a slang term, is contained towards the end of the reading and we'll get to that later. In the early verses of chapter 12, we soon find out that following the way, the new way of the church was a risky business. Long life wasn't guaranteed. It was like walking around with a big archery target, you know, painted on your back with a bullseye in the middle you were definitely a targeted person. And there was persecution of all kinds, imprisonments, beatings, killings. James, the brother of John, was killed in verse 2. Jesus had previously predicted that James and John would, like Jesus, be put to death from Matthew 20. And the prophecy is fulfilled for James by Herod, who has James killed by the sword, probably beheaded. Just note that the Herod at the centre of this campaign is the grandson of Herod the Great, who rose to notoriety at the time of Jesus' birth. So he had 
James killed, Peter was arrested. Verse 4, and we read a, a fair bit about that in the passage. Herod wasn't a great lover of the Jews, but they were opposing the Christians and he still saw some value in pleasing their leaders by arresting Jesus. Uh, Peter, sorry. Also, we gather, Herod didn't want any ugly incidents during the busy Passover period. He was ensuring that Peter would be there for the show nicely timed for when Jerusalem would be crowded. Herod has 16 soldiers assigned to guard Peter day and night, four squads of four. So let's look at Peter in prison. He was bound with chains between two soldiers plus sentries, iron gates, etc. The whole situation was one of very high security. How was Peter feeling? Well, we don't actually know. But we do know that he wasn't laying wide awake at night worrying about it. He was sound asleep, verse 6. And that reminds us of a similar situation in Acts 16 when Paul and Silas were singing when they were in prison. So Peter is asleep and that is the time that God, who is the real hero of this story, starts to make his escape plan known. God sends an angel to wake Peter, verse 7, and he then proceeds to deliver Peter uh, from his bondage. The angel made Peter's chains fall off, but he told Peter to put his clothes and sandals on all by himself. The angel led Peter through locked doors, past vigilant guards and through an iron gate, verse 10. But he still expected Peter to walk on his own two feet. The angel took Peter down one street only, then left him alone to use his own wits. Well, let's just pause and pick up a take-home message as we read this. That is, don't expect angels to do for you what you can do for yourself. Now, the laws of nature operate in the real world and if we experience something against those laws, we assume it to be a hallucination or a dream or perhaps a vision, not something real. But Peter's escape from prison was all quite real. Peter had thought that the whole experience was an unreal vision for some time during this escape. But look at verse 11. When Peter came to himself. That's an interesting verse. That's the point where you get a grip on reality around you. And you may remember the prodigal son came to that point when he was in the pigsty. He came to himself. It's when you stop drifting along and take stock of where you are and what you are doing. And in this case, Peter is out in the city street and realises, yeah, yes, I am free. Now, do you remember that familiar expression sometimes used in old cowboy movies? There's action out here on the prairie. And then the camera pans back over to the homestead with the words, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Well, in our case, exciting things are happening to Peter over here around the prison. But meanwhile, back at Mary's house, the house where the church was in the middle of a prayer meeting, and we get to ask those questions that I asked at the start. 
We're told in verse 5 that they were praying earnestly. And thanks for the expression you put into that when you, when you read that. They were praying earnestly for Peter's situation. They were serious about it, although we're not really sure what they were specifically praying for. We could guess that they were seeking God's urgent help in the light of the growing persecution and Peter's imprisonment. Now, the events of what happened as Peter arrived at the house door are quite hilarious. I reckon they're absolutely hilarious, funny. I consider this account to be one of the most humorous in the Bible. You've just got to laugh when you think about it. But as we think more deeply, it's also very challenging. We can imagine Peter knocking on the door and Rhoda, the servant girl, running to answer it. Peter speaks to her. Rhoda is so overjoyed that she overlooks actually opening the door, verse 14, and runs into the prayer meeting and says, Peter's standing at the door. Now let's just stop and think what sort of reaction that could have brought forward. Here's a group of people who have been earnestly praying for help. What could they have said? Any thoughts? Yeah, praise the Lord. God's answered our prayers. <laughs> but no, they said, oh, you're out of your mind. What would you know, you silly young girl? Peter's securely held in a fortified prison. Go away. We are busy with serious things. <laughs> but when pushed a little harder, they said, oh, well, it must be his angel. Verse 15. And that's why I asked those earlier questions. When you pray, do you expect God to answer? Or do you sometimes not pray because you don't believe God could answer such a prayer? They're probing questions for all of us. Well, when after quite a delay they do open the door for Peter, their amazement bubbles over, verse 16. But Peter signals for silence. The last thing he needs is a commotion to attract attention and waste more time. He quickly explains what happened, asks them to pass on the information to the others, especially to James, and that's a different James to the one mentioned above. Then he goes off to a refuge somewhere before his escape is discovered at the prison. He needed to be well clear of that house by daybreak because, as you can imagine, Herod would not be a happy man. And this is the last reference we have of Peter in this passage. It was wise for Peter to be removed from the scene for a while. It also emphasises that being a prison guard could be a hazardous job, verse 19, even though these particular guards were not responsible for Peter's escape. I don't know how you think about it, but I feel those guards were pretty unfortunate. Here they are just doing their job and when God released Peter, they got the chop. It's all part of God's big plan, though. The guards outside seemed to notice nothing untoward during the night, even though Peter and the angel had walked right past them. 
The two guards inside who'd been chained to Peter did not become aware of Peter's absence until dawn. How could this be? Well, let us keep in mind that we're not dealing with man-made situations here, but one in which God is clearly in charge. That's the big difference. No wonder there was such consternation or commotion or no small disturbance, various versions use different words, as Luke puts it in verse 18. The punishment for letting a prisoner escape was death. God's angel somehow delayed the discovery of Peter's escape to gain Peter some time to find refuge. Now this whole event must have had a very positive and encouraging effect on that early church. I would think that their personal and corporate prayer life would have been greatly enhanced, quite different after a situation like this. And each, each and every one of us here have this, this morning can have our prayer lives greatly enhanced as we consider and take on board God's powerful intervention in the early church. Well, let's get back to Herod. Was Herod a happy man? <laughs> ah, it goes without saying, doesn't it? Not only did his escape infuriate him, there are lots of other reasons for him being angry. Angry. We're told in verse 20, this was the case regarding the people of Tyre and Sidon. It seems to be tied up with food supply and security. Well, for some reason, Herod appointed a time when he dressed to impress and decided to deliver an oration, a public speech, especially uh, for that occasion. Now, we're not really told of Herod's motives, the details of that event, or the motives of his hearers, but the people who responded were shouting, the voice of God and not of man. The voice of God and not of man, verse 22. Now he should have rejected such unwarranted adulation. <laughs> but unfortunately for him, he chose to bask in it. Yeah, more, more, you know. Not a good choice. God's judgment on him was swift and horrible as we read in verse 23. The attack was swift, but I've been told that the death could be slow and painful. In this chapter, we are really looking at two contrasting kingdoms, that of Herod and, by contrast, that of God, in which Jesus is king. King Herod, King Jesus. Which king wins? Or who is the key player in these events? Now the answer is quite obvious as we read this passage. It was clearly God's purpose that we are seeing being worked out here again and again. And I believe that verse 24 holds the answer. But the word of God increased and multiplied. The word of God increased and multiplied. And this is what mission is about, isn't it? The whole chapter deals with troubled and troubling times but that three letter word but but God God allowed the persecution to scatter and drive outwards to a needy world God miraculously released Peter for an important job God encouraged the church to pray and to clearly see that he was in charge and God took action when a wicked king wished to exalt himself 
And as we have already seen, the net result was, as per verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. God was clearly in charge of these events. Now we could raise some reflective questions. For example, was the praying church being used by God as part of the whole process? I believe it was and by extension so can we be used by God as we pray. So should we pray? And should we be more earnest in our prayers? Well the answer is yes to both of those. In 1 Thessalonians 5 Paul urges the young church to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And in Luke 18, when talking to his disciples, Jesus uh, said that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. When? Always to pray and not lose heart. So what else can we learn from this passage? When I first read this story and the, uh, the account of Rhoda reporting to those in the prayer meeting, as I said earlier, I found it hilarious. To be honest... I was tempted to look down my nose at their efforts and their lack of trust. Easy to do. But how do you and I rate in this area of our prayer lives? So if God is in control, it makes good sense that we pray regularly, frequently and believingly, if that's a word. And may we not be surprised when God answers prayer. Hallelujah that he does. Even prayers of an unbelieving world, even prayers that an unbelieving world might tell you are impossible. It all depends on who is the boss in your life. Is it you or me or is it God? Really, is it God? And before we give a glib answer, let's think about that. You see, it's so easy to give lip service as we sit here this morning. As I said at the start, there are many bad things in the world, but take heart, God is still in control. And we can also read of the exodus uh, of the children of Israel out of Egypt. That's another amazing uh, escape. So there's strong evidence that God is clearly in control. And now we've seen it in a dramatic way as we've looked at this incident in Peter's life. If you are following God's leading for his purpose, he will lead into outcomes according to his will. It's a wonderful privilege to be part of Jesus' church on earth and to see God's kingdom growing in the midst of a needy and often hostile world. So let us in our daily lives pray and let us pray earnestly as we also seek God's will and guidance in doing our part to advance the spreading of God's word in a world that desperately needs God in their lives. And as we close, let us remember the regular opportunities we have as a church body here in our home groups or connect groups, whatever you particularly call them, and of course in our homes as we meet with family and friends. May we so pray that our God who is in control for his continuing guidance in each of our lives, that we may not only be constrained to seek his will, but we will cheerfully want to be part of it. Amen.
Can I just lead us briefly in prayer now? Our Father, thank you for the growth of the early church. Thank you that you cause your word to increase and multiply. You ask us to be diligent and to pray without ceasing and you do answer prayers for your purposes and for the continuing growth of your church. Thank you for this local church. We ask you to bless, to grow and to discipline where necessary your people here so that we are more able to serve you and each other. And we ask all of this through the mighty name of your Son, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Elwood.